one surprising thing that's been sitting there in the Bible the entire time is that the Bible is not a monotheistic book. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, right. But there's, there's this idea. It's kind of, of a red herring. <laughs> yeah. Steve, come on. One heresy per episode. <laughs> and I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? But even on my heart Can't compare with what you're worth <clears throat> Sorry, you were saying you your wife was terminated? She, uh, she's a terminator. Yeah. Uh, she finished, she made it to the terminus, which is probably Greek or Latin. Latin for the end of, of the trail. Um... She made it on her birthday, which is really cool. That's pretty cool. And so, uh, yeah, lots of stuff going on. I we were talking about the, I transitioned roles in my company, so yeah, um, just lots of good but busy things happening all at the same time. Now, congratulations on all of it. Yeah, you have a, a new wife and a new job. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of like new newlyweds all over again. Um, it's been six months. And we really didn't spend much time together after we were married anyway. So yeah, kind of like starting over. So it's exciting. That's cool, man. Well, we got some cool stuff lined up for the podcast coming up. I want to remind everybody about the book club uh, coming up in two episodes from now. Three? 30, episode 35, theoretically. Yes. Yeah. And so that'll be Faith After Doubt by Brian McLaren. Yep, why your beliefs um, stopped working and what to do about it. Yeah, and if if it helps in, pique anybody's interest, the the basic core message of the book is that you must have doubt in order to increase your faith, which is something that uh, I'm not sure that I ever got that message growing up. Yes, I've definitely been thinking a lot about the relationship between faith and certainty and doubt. Yeah. And maybe uh, are there good kinds of doubt or bad kinds of lack of doubt? Yeah, how certain I love how he talks about how certainty is not the opposite of doubt. Right. So no spoilers, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good book. I'm I'm in the middle of reading it uh, for the second and a half time, and uh, it's been pretty good. I it took me forever to buy it because I kept I went to the large online book retailer and I saw that they had the Kindle, but I'm not really with the technology. And I kept looking at the hardcover and paperback options and the paperback doesn't, isn't released until um, later. It's, it hasn't come out yet, but the hardcover says it release it's released in January of 2021. And I was like, Oh rats. I, they don't, the hardcover isn't even out yet because I'm behind by an entire year. It's like that's the future, and no one, no one's gonna blame you for <laughs> being in a year behind. 
<laughs> I had to, I'm pretty sure I texted you. I was like, man, I can't get it. And you're like, ah, I'm seeing it's available. Yeah, I've got it on my desk here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is he is writing a, a sequel though, so Really? Yeah. Do you know what it's called? Uh I don't think he's said the title anywhere that I've heard. Okay. But it's probably gonna come out next year. Kinda like what do you it's like, okay, got this, you know, these stages of faith figured out. What do I do now? Right. Yeah. That's exciting. Uh and I'll put a shameless plug in for myself. I am uh I mentioned at the beginning of the last episode that I did just by myself that I um, unfortunately have started watching a lot of TikTok videos. Oh no. And it's gotten worse. Nathan, I, I'm starting to record TikTok videos. Whoa. Are you a TikToker? About deconstruction. I'm I'm officially a TikToker. (laughs) (laughs) I've got 25 followers. (laughs) What? That's more than I, I'm pretty sure I have on Twitter, so I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, there's a surprising amount of deconstruction and faith and religious stuff on there. I, I thought it was just for like lip syncing videos and doing stupid dances. Yeah. But there's like, there's several like uh, scholars on there and like people who think they're scholars. So it's still one of those, you know, be careful what you believe things, but. Yeah. So how do do people do you have a how do people find you on TikTok? Oh yeah, the username is Hey Steve Martin. Hey Steve Martin. Hey Steve Martin. I am an adult, so I just uh, watch reels on Instagram and pretend that I'm not <laughs> watching TikTok. Right, but yeah, I'm it's watching. Totally TikTok. different. <laughs> yeah, complete. I don't even know what you're talking about. Can't relate. Yeah, so I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, awesome. Kind of using it as a bit of a kind of a promo for this show. The link yeah. to all the to the show back to us, and so we'll see how it goes. Got a a video up there I put up there a couple of days ago uh, bashing James Dobson. So that that's that's a fun one. Should be fun. Yeah. What was James but, Dobson? He he featured heavily in Jesus and John Wayne, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think and he also, also came. Came up in the Mars Hill podcast that's out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You've been listening to that? I'm, when I got busy, I stopped. So I, I've listened to maybe five episodes, I think. Yeah. Really intriguing. And it is. seems very timely, uh, especially, I mean, in one way, it, it feels like watching a train wreck. If, if you just right. focus on what happened at that one church with that one guy. But man, if you kind of apply it to how does church work in America right now, very, very uh, interesting. And, and the, yeah, it's, like, it's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. So I leave, I, I kind of slack off a little bit, and then you start TikToking. <laughs> and and then now you're being heretical, I hear. So I've, yes. I've got to be careful uh, leaving you alone, it sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> that's a it's a good takeaway. <laughs> yep, that's that was the oh man. Start thinking What's... my own thoughts too much, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's there to rein yeah. you in, keep you in the box? Don't question the questions. See, the problem is my wife agrees with all, all the stuff I say. So, <laughs> oh, you're yeah. She's probably got... she's probably more heretical than I am, which is a, <laughs> which is a problem. My wife just uh, likes when I have strong opinions about things, so she doesn't. 
care if they're like correct. I don't think she just likes when I express strong opinions. So I would have the same like, go go tell them what you think. <laughs> Be meaner. You go, honey. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's good. It's good. It's good to have support. Yeah, I need that. Oh uh, yeah, so last week I did a episode on kind of my hot take about how biblical biblical inerrancy led to Trump and conspiracy theories. I missed a lot. And uh <laughs> I I was kind of breezing through in the kind of in the intro to the concept. The concept being if you haven't listened to the last episode, you may pause and do so now or I'll just give you the quick rundown. Um, basically the fact, the idea that we're, that the Bible is right, no matter what other evidence comes along, it seems to me, it's my theory is that we have, evangelicals in America really have trained our brains to be okay with believing things that are not true, even though there's support for it external or against it external, because we're so used to doing that with our with our faith, which is the most important thing, that we have people who are literally dying in, in the hospital still saying that COVID's fake or right. um, believing that Donald Trump's the most godly man under the sun despite the evidence to the contrary. So it's almost like practice at cognitive dissonance, being comfortable with it, so much so that you don't even feel it or even so much so that not only are you comfortable when maybe two things very clearly uh, don't mesh, but that you actually are, uh, yeah, it makes you comfortable with that in other ways, or you maybe even look for the way that that can, that can even happen. Yeah. And I think it could either be the fact that you've become comfortable with that concept and like that's your happy space now. Or that you just become very good at quickly getting rid of the cognitive dissonance by believing something crazy. Right. Um, yeah. Now, I'm, I didn't mean to imply that the Bible is something crazy. And I think a few people mis- misunderstood that. I guess some uh, some folks contacted me like, what? I mean, no one was mean or mad or anything. They're like, what are you talking about? What are you, where are you getting at here? Gotcha. And... Um, I, in kind of in the introduction of the concept, I talked about, I kind of rattled off really quick 10 things that we may think are true about the Bible or the biblical history that scholars or historians of our day now disagree with. Okay. In other words, evidence from the outside that, or internal evidence, honestly, that, that kind of shakes the foundation of the concept that we are so or that we were raised with, of the Bible is completely without fault, agrees with itself all the time, um, is completely accurate with history, with science, and on down the line. And so I wanted to address some of those things tonight. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through all of them at all. I'm not even going to try. I, I, I do want to start out by saying that I think a lot of this comes down to our expectations of what the Bible does. Yeah. When we start with the idea that the Bible is right about everything that we think it's right about, 
that's the key that we think it's right about, then if something, if there's a chink in that armor, suddenly the whole thing comes crumbling down. And then we lose our faith and we leave God because we find out that maybe Paul didn't write First and Second Timothy, you know, something like that. And the point I want to make ahead of time before going through some of these uh, examples is really that I think that, that the expectation of Scripture should be that it teaches us about God and about how to live our lives and how to follow Jesus and, and how, to, how to have a relationship with God. And that to, throughout the Scriptures, that's clear. It's all about, the entire Old Testament is all about having a relationship with God, getting back into a relationship with God. The New Testament's all about loving others and loving God, you know, the, the two greatest commandments that's repeated multiple times. And so if we expect that to be the what it's about, and we expect it to be have to have been written by men, then we're going to expect it to have some slight differences here and there, or some inaccuracies, or some perceived inaccuracies, because we disagree or don't think of history the same way that they thought of history or we don't think of science the way they thought of science. So I'll kind of go through those. I'm going to read these off and, and then Nathan, you tell me, I want to, I'll ask you a couple questions before I get into it. Okay. I'm scared. Yeah. And I I did put these in the show notes of last week after a a listener contacted me. He's like, can you give me some resources for those? So the links I put in the show notes last week uh, and I'll put them in this one as well. They are links that are very high-level links. They're, a lot of them are Wikipedia links because, honestly, that's a pretty good summary of stuff. And from Wikipedia, you can follow the references and go from there. Anyway, so the list of Steve's heretical thoughts about the Bible. Part one. <laughs> <laughs> um, first and second, I said First and Second Timothy and Titus are not written by Paul. Uh, the God of the Israelites was initially named El and it became Yahweh later in history. Huh. Uh, the Bible never tells us that homosexual relationships are wrong. The book of Revelation almost didn't make it into the Bible at all. Uh, Job is probably not a real person. Isaiah was written by multiple authors in different eras. Uh, some parts of the Bible are so ancient that we have no idea how to translate it. It's doubtful that Abraham was a real person. What? That was the biggest one for me so far. Really? Okay. Moses didn't write the Pentateuch, and John was not written by John. Anyway, so have you heard of any of those things before? Um, authors, yeah, so I'll, I'll go through real quick. Authorship of uh, Pauline letters for sure, but mm-hmm. not specifically First and Second Timothy and Titus. Um, it's funny, the El and Yahweh thing, I've actually always noticed... When people say like their name means God saves or, you know, God is with me, it's Daniel, Elijah, and that kind yep. of thing. So I, I had made the connection that El means God, um, like Elohim. Yeah. El Shaddai, like the immigrant song. But I didn't, but I've never, I'm interested to see, see what you say about that. I've never, like God has called so many things that I've never thought like, you know, I've never heard of that and certainly never noticed a shift or a change. Um, revelation I didn't know about, but that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Job not being a real person kind of fits with my interpretation of what Job is trying to do. Yep. And, and some things I've read 
that are similar, maybe dated at similar times that that are similar, but not Christian, not, um, Judeo, uh, stories. Right. You know, kind of make that maybe more clear for me, but that's, let's see. Um, yeah, Abraham not being real, a real person. That one's mind blowing to me. That's like a, a pillar shaking one. Um, Moses not writing the Pentateuch. Yeah, the that's not that's not too surprising. And <laughs> um, then John not being written by John. I think I've always isn't the history that John is Peter. Uh, that's Mark. That's Mark. Mark. Okay. Mark is Peter's account. Gotcha. Oh, John is the weird one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to your point, the uh, a lot of this stuff is not necessarily. Well, a lot of it really is not necessarily something that you would just glean by reading the scriptures by themselves standalone. Yeah, the, one of my one of my thoughts was because I actually I completely agree with your hypothesis, or I at least think it's feasible that a certain kind of cultural development in churches helps people be comfortable with a certain dissonance that then yeah. led to people being comfortable with a a similar dissonance, but I definitely think of it as more cultural. Like I harp on a lot, the, uh, the pathos, the pathos yeah. argument. And so learning maybe that we're supposed to be different from the world and then maybe focusing on the wrong ways that we're different from the world and then kind of relishing that the world dislikes us and disliking them back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would kind of follow that rabbit trail. And for me, it's a slightly different, different idea than inerrancy, but it's the same feeling, which is like, this is not something we want to confront or that we're comfortable with confronting. Right. But, you know, the, these are examples that I don't think people run into very often, even though maybe kind of what you're saying is maybe in the scholarship there, there's lots of support or there's consensus or that kind of thing. Yeah. And and that's honestly where a lot of this came, where I started going down the, the path of the rabbit rabbit holes or whatever of these, of these concepts. And there's, there's a whole, there's a longer list of them. There's just a sampling, but um, what, what really started me down the path of figuring some of the stuff out is how you know, in the, in the science and faith sub like sub series that I'm doing over on the Patreon. Yeah. I talked about in the first episode about how the, there's this book from God we call the Bible scripture. And there's like the book of the world. There's his word and his world. There's like two books, both written by him and they don't disagree. And when I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's an interesting thought because I I firmly I'm a firmly firm believer in science, not as a thing that can tell us give us meaning and purpose in life, but that can tell us what happened or mm-hmm. how things work. It's to me it's just science is one way of discovering how God did stuff. And then when it comes to anthropological type sciences, his, uh, history which which you could kind of you could argue as a science or not, but it's, it's, it follows a lot of the same tenets. I mean, you can't do like experiments with history, but you know what I mean. Uh, there's history and science and uh, science 
like historical science uh, to figure out how things used worked back then uh-huh. and and how they work now, all that stuff. And how when you think when it comes down to it, textual criticism, which is the field of of science, I guess you'd say that analyzes ancient texts, not just the Bible, but ancient texts to determine when they were written, who they were written by, what the purpose was of writing them, you know, the, all the historical stuff around that text. And of course, you know, the Bible being the most read or at least the most purchased and most shoplifted book in the world, it's going, it's, there's a lot of people doing biblical textual criticism. Sure. And there are things that, I mean, there's always outliers, no matter which science you talk about or, or whatever it is. But there are what we call a consensus, and you mentioned this a second ago, Nathan, that there are, there are consensus about different books being in the Bible or not in the Bible or why they are, why they aren't, who wrote them, who didn't. And it's all based on really solid investigation and and understanding things that I don't understand as far as how the, like, really obscure aspects of the language show us that it's written at different air than we thought it was or whatever. Yeah. So that's kind of where you get into some of the, some of the weird things that I enlisted. And I, I, I feel like I kind of got off on our rabbit trail again, but what, what I want to say before I get started is I don't think this stuff needs to be a faith shattering or a faith shaking realization. These things don't need to be because what they're really doing is just explaining how we got what we have. Just because we find out that First Timothy and Titus are not written by Paul, or probably weren't, does that mean that there's no truth in them? No. Does that mean that they're useless? I don't think so. I mean, it may, it may make me have less certainty about some of the things that they say, like if 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 i have if i find a concept in some book that's highly disputed to be written by an apostle then i'm like yeah maybe i need to be careful about how i approach that topic if it's just huh. a one off thing um which honestly when i think through a lot of those issues it just comes down to loving people anyway <laughs> so we need to do anyway and so i i don't i don't think that seeing the bible as a less than pristine, perfect book, to me, any, to me anyway, it doesn't shake my faith. It actually helps me understand how God did things a little bit better than I did before. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's. I we share a really similar view about some of this, although I, I certainly haven't looked into a lot of these. But part of that, I think, is because of what's the word? There's a word for this that I don't know, but there's the Bible and reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's what the Bible says about itself, mm-hmm. and then there is there are the stories that we have constructed uh, either explicitly or on accident about what we believe the Bible is. Right. So you know yeah. we've both run into people who, for example, to pick on the helpless people who think the Bible was written in English, right? Right. So they have constructed nobody hopefully told them that they just grew up in a, in a view where they encounter only English Bibles. Maybe the insistence on using one specific translation made them think there must be something special about it because it's the original, you know, they, they kind of made up 
constructed their own story about the Bible. But you could also tell if you were an atheist scholar, the story you construct about the Bible on accident or that carefully is is going to be different than if you grew up, uh, if you're a six-year-old in Sunday school. Because yeah. people are telling you a different thing about a six-year-old in Sunday school. We're going to say the Bible is God's word. And yep. um, the Bible tells us his story and his plan for our life. And if you are a 20-year-old Christian, a Christian for 20 years or a Christian for 50 years, then your story about the Bible could still be that it's God's word for us and it tells us the story of how he loves us and rescued us. But hopefully it's become more nuanced. Yeah. But, you know, anyways, that is to say there is the text itself and what the text is trying to do. That's not the same as as what I tell myself when I look at it, when I pick it up. Why do I not, like, throw it down on the street? Why do I not, yeah. like, rip a page out of it? Not because the Bible doesn't say to do that or or whatever. It's because I've I have ideas about it. So it almost... It can be so disorienting to like rattle off a list like this if it's never been part of your story of what you tell yourself about the Bible. Yeah. And it, it almost, it reminds me of when people take genetic tests, you know, there's popular tests yeah. for their, their genes, right? Yep. And there can be a lot of surprises when you take yeah. a genetic test, right? Like my grandma is not my grandma, right? Yeah. Or like- yeah. We have a whole set of cousins we didn't know about, right? Or like, yeah. I'm from a different place than I thought I was. And so I understand the, like, man, I don't even want to, I don't even want to look at that. I would prefer to accept the story I've been told, right? Than to, yeah. than to find out there's a couple of chinks in that armor. But that doesn't change the truth, right? That, you know, the, yeah. the genetic test is just the, like, here, here, here it is. Yeah. Right but we still tell stories about our family and where it came from. And you can be like, the family can be just as meaningful before and after. So for the people who are still reeling at a list of errors, I think that it's, it's important just to, to think and rethink. And then five years from now, rethink again, what does the Bible say about itself? What, you know, what are the different kinds of stories or kinds of literature in the Bible? They're all doing different things. And what do I, okay, now what story do I tell myself? What does the Bible mean for me? And has it changed at all since Sunday school? Yeah. And those are, those can be hard questions. Um, Cause it can, it can change over time for you perhaps, uh, depending on what you learn or don't learn. And the, I will say, you know, the, if if you don't want to have some of your the the chinks exposed, don't listen to the rest of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, I I feel like too, it's this ties in what we're previewing with the the book we're going to read, the difference between faith, fear, certainty, and doubt. Yeah, and so if you have a if a the only pillar or a really central pillar is the the story you you told yourself is this this book was maybe dictated by God mm-hmm. from God's mouth to the to the quill and that the way that it came together was only single 
agency, it was God Mm -hmm. from start to finish 100%, then that's what shakes it. But if you believe in dual agency where like God working through a doctor can help us invent penicillin, right? Or, Or God writing through a poet can can express something that is both true, but also influenced or made by humans. Yeah. And that's a huge question is what is inspiration? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about about that for a while, a long time. And so then as you, as you think about like, man, what happened to the Bible during the exile? Yeah. Lots of editing, right? Lots Mm -hmm. of rewriting, lots of deleting, adding of comments. And those are things that we can see. Because just like if you cut through a tree and saw the rings, you can go back and see ancient manuscripts and see changes, or you can tell the difference in in tone, or you can see when there's a really specific kind of literal construct, literary construct, like a chiasm, mm-hmm. that now has a some big chunk in the middle of it that messes it up because somebody wrote a note in there. And, yeah. and so then I... Th- I think a really natural question, like, wait a minute, somebody changed this, is either like, yeah, I'm, that's how it came together. Like, it, this is a, a patchwork quilt that has all these meaningful bits that has been put together carefully over time and then been changed and then fixed and then et cetera. And that's, that's what it is. But if you, if you're so used to seeing a brand new printed Bible with really nice pages with page numbers from start to finish, you haven't been imagining the human process, you know, and the historical right. process and the cultural and the language. Yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. On and on. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that and one of the reasons I like I I choose to do this to myself, and you know, I have I have moments when I read some of this stuff, I'm like, whoa, that's what does it even mean now? You know, <laughs> yeah. The reason I do this to myself, and I'm subject- subjecting you guys to it, is that I feel that these things are things that everybody has in the world has access to this this information. And people who hate God and hate faith of any kind are taking these things in. And, and if, at a minimum, we need to know what's being said. Now, you, you I may list these things off and. Our listeners, or you may completely disagree. You, th- you think, well, I still have faith that it's the other way, and that's fine. It's not. I'm not trying to like argue about it, but I think that knowing the chinks in the armor are very valuable to us under to being honest with ourselves about faith. I mean, and this this podcast is about faith journey, right? Trying to figure out what God really wants from us, and I think this is a huge part of it because if I don't deconstruct my understanding of Scripture to make sure not to tear it apart and leave it to, to die, but to deconstruct it to enough to to see that where I'm putting it back together and reconstructing it, where it makes sense to me and to history and science and all these things that we have that are very tangible, uh, I think those are valuable things because I think those are things that God gave us the brains to figure out. So Yeah. All right. I think it's so important to even ask ourselves, am I... Are there some things that I'm not willing to grapple with? Right. And if so, is that because I'm actually, uh, the fear, I'm, I'm afraid of what it might be, 
And so I'm holding on to something that I think actually does have problems, right? That it kind of betrays mm-hmm. a, not that everyone has to do this for them to have a strong faith or anything, but I think it's just interrogating our reaction to even, you know, grappling with this kind of stuff, I think is, is a pretty telling thing. And just like my grandpa with um, geology, like geologists know it, right? So we can, we can be ignorant of geology as Christians, but we're not doing anyone any favors, not ourselves, not God, not non-believers by refusing to engage with, with that. Right. Yeah. And so all these things that I'll talk about tonight are things that the, that the vast majority of biblical scholars and textual criticism people, things that they agree with and that they know, like your grandpa with geology, but they are things that we, that I have in my time growing up as a Christian have heard explained away or, well, they're just anti-God. They're just making stuff up or who knows what. Sure. But these are not crazy ideas from Steve. (laughs) These are crazy ideas that Steve found that lots of other people think are pretty solid. Anyway, preamble over. Move on to First and Second Timothy and Titus, not written by Paul. First and Second Timothy and Titus are commonly grouped together. They're referred to as the pastoral epistles because those three books are, are you know, sensibly Paul writing a like a, a student of his, either Timothy or Titus, mm-hmm. saying, "Here's how you do church. Here's how. Here's what's important. Here's what's not important. You know, like, don't have women do this." You know, pick your elders this way, that kind of stuff. Because the other letters are all written to groups of people in a city, a whole church. And these are yeah, kind of written to like part, what yeah. I would call an apprentice or like right. you know, someone. Right, that's the word, apprentice. Yep. Okay. And so we we see f- throughout in history, like going way back to the earliest set of accepted books that were in the canon of the, of the books of the Bible. First, it was put together by Marcion in like 130 to 140 AD, so not very long after. Uh, he didn't see First and Second Timothy or Titus at all as part of Scripture. When it comes down to Pauline authorship, we, have, we do know for sure that like this is undisputed among scholars, that Paul for sure wrote First Thessalonians, Galatians, First and Second Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, and Romans. Those are undisputed. We're like, we know Paul did that for reasons you can welcome look up on, <laughs> online. Um, there, there are some that like might be authentic, but we're not quite sure. And that's Ephesians, Colossians, and Second Thessalonians. And then there's ones that are nobody, well, hardly anybody at all believes in the scholarly world that they are authentic Paul. And that's First and Second Timothy and Titus. And then where did Hebrews the, go? There's not a single a, a credible scholar that believes Hebrews was written by Paul. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah. It's, a, it's a sermon by some unknown person that, um, and yeah, that's fine by me. It doesn't, <laughs> either way. 
So when you when you get all this stuff together, and you see that these weren't written by Paul, you know, of course it begs the question: What does that mean? Sure. You know, you could say, well, I still think they're Paul because that two thousand years worth of of history and people agreeing say that it was written by Paul, and that's where we get into the whole concept of pseudepigrapha, like ghost writing things writing something and putting Paul's name on it to gain some gravity or some weight to the, to the, the message. Yeah. To, and to be brutally honest, there are some very problematic things in those three books, especially when you get down to the, some of the women's stuff and how the eldership is supposed to run hmm. things like that. I think maybe the a lay person wouldn't get into this very often because the Bible just was presented to us. And I, I don't really have a problem with, I mean, I don't have a problem with, how the Bible is has come to be or the various ways the Bible has come to be. But one of the main or maybe the main way to decide what was going to be in the New Testament was that all of the books were written by apostles. So I I think there's a little bit of a, wait a minute, if this is not an apostle and Paul being kind of a special kind of apostle, do they belong here under that criteria and but then there's kind of the practical, okay, is, are these things that the church or the early church accepted as useful? Was their criteria different than ours? And, yeah. you know, did they care? Did they know or care, right, that it was written right. by Paul or not written by Paul? That And that's that's crucial, is did they care? Does it matter? Right. I mean, it may not matter. Uh, because I think there there are things in my mind that are written today about, God and books, books, sermons, things like that, that carry just as much truth, like godly truth, as some of the, even some of the letters that are for sure written by Paul. And I, I, I probably once again heretical, <laughs> come to I, I really feel that I, I personally put more weight on the words of Jesus than the words of Paul, because he was the Messiah, and you know, that that can be argued, of course. But you know, I just I think it's it's valuable that we understand that there are things like like when it comes to the authorship of books. Just because somebody wrote the book who is not the person you thought wrote the book doesn't make the book trash, right? It doesn't, doesn't make the Bible trash either because it does though in twenty twenty one sometimes it and it still depends if somebody claimed to have written a novel and then it. Turns out they didn't. I remember this happened with um, what is it, Three Cups of Tea, or one of those, one of those books that there were some fabricated stories in this kind of semi-autobiographical novel. That was a big deal to me because those stories, yeah. like the whole point was that this person lived through these stories, and yeah. so if they, but we have of course ghost writers now, and we kind of all know that, right? So mm-hmm. if Kim Kardashian wrote a book. We'd be fine if it came out that she had five ghostwriters who actually wrote the book because we right. know that that's how it works and that's not the point, right? Right. But certainly, though, by modern standards, claiming to, to do that, to write something that that is by someone else is a much bigger modern problem than, you know, who authored, I don't know, you know, it, it's kind of like Jesus tells a parable did we expect for the people in the parable to be real historical people? Right. It matters like what the, the, the author and the audience think about what's happening. 
you know, a play is not people lying about who they are. A play is somebody intentionally deceiving the audience, but we're accepting it, right? There's so many layers to to understanding some some of those things. Yeah, and that can cause some confusion, especially like with the parables, like you mentioned, because we totally believe that the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example, or the prodigal son, we totally believe that those are fictional people made up to make a point. But then you come across Jesus telling the parable of Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, as he says, versus the rich man being in hell. Yeah. And suddenly we feel like that that's a real story. Yeah, we, we try to take it as a core sample of heaven and hell. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> right. Core we're like, wait a minute. He just let us in when the story is not meant to be about that. Or may- maybe it is. I don't know. But I mean, just because you have a name, just because you name a guy in a in a parable, like every other parable we know, we know is a, a made up story. Yeah. But then we like, oh, it says Lazarus, so it's not a made up story. Everything in it is completely accurate. And so then you get these weird ideas of eternal torment and hell and things like that. And you know, I, I'm not sure I want to be in Abraham's bosom. Sounds weird <laughs> to me. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Yep. And. That's that's where it comes down. To, we know the authorship of very that like actually there are very few books in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that actually claim authorship. Right. Very or few. have titles or have names. Right. Yeah. Like, like even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we don't know for sure that any of those guys wrote, guys wrote the book. And yeah, like you mentioned, we're we're starting to realize now that and it's been known for a while, but. It's becoming more and more commonly known that Mark is seems to be probably the account of Peter, maybe written down by Mark. Anyway, I mean, it, there's, there's no way Peter so could write that guy. Yeah, right. Think. Yeah, you could build a mean chair though. <laughs> no way. He's no. He was a he was he's a, a fisherman. fisherman. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So that that kind of covers honestly the some of the stuff about Moses and John and. Like just authorship in general is often attributed to somebody that we feel gives the text more meaning or that somebody along the way thought did. I think that kind of bleeds kind of naturally into Job not being a real person as well. Yeah, yeah. Because we have a really common trope that I grew up with in English, which is once upon a time. Yeah. If you said once upon a time there was a prince named Edward, you know that I'm about to tell a fairy tale. Right. And all I said was once upon a time. And and you stop caring about once upon a time literally means I'm telling you that there was a person named this at one time in history. Right. But once upon a time doesn't, we all accept that that doesn't mean that. I'm. It's shorthand. It's shorthand to say, here's the kind of thing I'm saying. Knock, knock. Who's there? Oh, you're telling a knock, knock joke now. Right, you're not telling me science. <laughs> You've helped me determine what kind of literature this is. And so, you know, with Job, I think that you can easily see the once upon a time um, structure of that story that fits mm-hmm. with other once upon a time stories that Christians wouldn't accept as historical fact, although they they may or may not be based on historical people. Gilgamesh is a great example, right? Yeah someone who was probably historical or some kind of historical, but the stories about him, you know, are not, are not, or, yeah. or like Paul Bunyan, I think is a good example. Right. Was there yeah. somebody named Paul Bunyan? Maybe. 
Yeah. Probably, maybe. I don't know anything about Paul Bunyan, but <laughs> but when we say Paul Bunyan, you know, swung his axe and ten trees fell down, now we already know what category of of literature we're in. Yeah, and the very beginning of Job starts out that way, kind of. There once was a man in Timbuktu. Let's right. call him Job. <laughs> in a land far, far away. In a land far, far away. Job. Yeah. He was the richest man, had all the things, had all the family, had all the, yeah. the camels and stuff. You know, it, it it's it's very to me it's very clearly a fairy tale. And we get another core sample of the what's the word for that? Of the eschatological? That's not the right word. But that's a good Bible word that I don't know. That's a good we, word, yeah. It's another core sample that we get like, oh wait a minute. There's the accuser and God and God and and they're like doing this yeah. test. And so we kind of do the same thing with the rich man and Lazarus, where we turn that little part into like this is how God operates. Yep. And maybe it is, and I don't I don't know. But sometimes if you miss the genre, you can get stuck on details that aren't as important. Yeah. When I say once upon a time there was a prince named Edward, if you say, wait, what year was it? Then you miss the point. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah, and, and so when I I probably should back up a little bit. I said Job is a fairy tale that it doesn't mean, I don't mean to imply that there's not truth in it, but I mean, I think actually now I say that fairy tales are told to convey truths or a moral, you know, what's the moral to the story. And I, I feel like that Job is like an extended parable. I mean, we're comfortable with the idea that Jesus taught in parables all the time. So, I mean, if, if Jesus is the image of God, why wouldn't God teach in a lot of parables? I think that's that's honestly where I come down with a lot of the things that we see as history in the Bible, like aspects of the, the flood and the Tower of Babel, a lot of the early Genesis stuff, really has the feel of this is a, a, a like a moral tale to help teach you about like how we should behave around God and how we should interact with him or her. Fairy fairy tale is a is a strong is a, is a loaded term. It but is. You are correct about like a good question to ask. First of all, is does this serve the same purpose if it's historical truth or not? Because I think the answer to Job is like yeah, ninety five percent yes. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Because if Job was a if once upon a time was four thousand six hundred and fifty two BC. Yeah, and Job was Job of us, and now you you read the story. The story is still written down because it's a story that's relevant to God and us. It's a story about God and us, and suffering and comfort or the lack thereof, right, of suffering yeah. people. And it does not depend on that to do what it's trying to do. So the objection is, well, now you're just making up the stuff you like or you don't like. <laughs> yeah. But I think that what is lost in that, it's a legitimate fear, but I think what's lost in that is that the so what, the question is actually driving towards what is the Bible actually trying to do here? And yeah. looking at some of those sides of it, I think actually get you closer to what is the Bible trying to say about Israel right now? Or, you know, why are they using, you know, what what's the significance of the 10 plagues? Mm -hmm. 
in this narrative to define who Israel is and especially how they're very much not where they came from, the, the people around them. And now what does that mean for us? And I think this is people building, uh, you know, um, I'm going to use another word like fairy tale. What's the, what's the genre though? Rats. What's Paul Bunyan? What genre is that? Uh, folktale. Yeah, it's not quite it. We we have stories about George Washington. Right. Legends. That, yeah, there's a different sort rats. This is gonna bug me. Somebody shout it shout it into the <laughs> into your car speaker. Um They're like the stories we tell ourselves that we're we're telling themselves partially because they speak to who we are and who we believe we are. So yeah. the story about George Washington cutting down the cherry tree and then being honest about it is about a special kind of humble American leader, Mm -hmm. right? That we kind of want to be like that. We tell that story because we kind of want to emulate that kind of thing. Abraham Lincoln taking the penny back to the store is us telling a story that's about us. It's about who we want to be, how we think of ourselves. We are Mm -hmm. people building with those stories and we don't have a discomfort telling those kinds of stories. And and we do it all the time with our leaders or with our founding fathers in America or with our family at the family reunion or even yeah. around the dinner table. We tell ourselves a story about who we are and how we fit into the world. Yeah. And the point, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is it's important to figure out the the genre, the point of why was this written down and to who and how does it apply to me? Because if I start with a, a wrong assumption, like this is a biography or this is a science textbook or this is not a poem or this is a poem or this is a song, it's really going to change. It's it's going to get in the way of me getting to, well, what is it actually trying to say? Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And so and so since we're on Job, I mentioned the the, the we don't know how to translate some stuff in the Bible and that that's kind of... I mean, there's, there's words everywhere that like we're Leviathan? like, is that one? <laughs> no, Leviathan actually is pretty, we're pretty clear on what that is. It was a, like a chaos monster that was in Babylonian mythology. Cause that, that's the whole, that's a whole rabbit trail <laughs> about okay. Job. But, and same thing with behemoth. It's not, uh, it's not a hippo. It's not a elephant. It's not a crocodile. These are fantastical creatures that don't exist. And it's, to make a point, it's it's a morality tale, a fairy gotcha. tale, if you will. Yeah. Um, but there are words in there are words in in Job that we don't have any clue what they mean. Um, huh. There's a, lo- a lot of really unique t- uh, terminology in that book. Um, there are some other books in the Bible that have the same issues, and, and for the most part, they're not pro- problematic. We can kind of guess what they mean. I mean, there's always people who get wrapped around the axle about the fact that we don't really know what that means. So it could mean something completely different or, you know, whatever. Like, like the, even the term like Nephilim in, in Genesis yeah. 8. Nobody knows what Nephilim means. Nobody's really sure what a Nephilim is. <laughs> but um, there are words we don't know what they mean. And I just kind of, uh, I just brought that up to kind of reemphasize the fact that this is a translated book. This is not an English book. And it's an ancient, yeah, it's a translated and an ancient book. 
And the way you translate an ancient thing is, is you really do have to have lo- the more you have of something, mm-hmm. you can see how it's used in different ways, right? So maybe even a source that's not the Bible, you can see like, oh, they use this word like this. Mm-hmm. Or this word has changed how it means. And so it used to mean stomach, but now it also means the core of you. And now it means your emotion, right? It and doesn't, it means heart. It, it doesn't mean stomach. It, yeah. In this case, it means yourself or Right. I think part of that is a church of Christ, certainly insistence, but it's, it happens other places too. We want not only to be able to stand on the whole word of God, but on each individual verse as if we could erase everything else. And that one verse has like a rule in it or a, Mm -hmm. or a universal truth in that one verse. And so that's when it gets problematic is when, there's that one word in that one verse that is is disputed or just really uncertain and it, you'll yeah. see that in the in your footnotes in, in the bible it'll it'll say like we're not sure what this means or it might say like two very different things mm-hmm. uh, that yep. really change the meaning that's bad if you don't take a view of scripture that takes a few steps back so that you're not looking at such a granular level that that's earth shattering because it's not, you know, I have so many cracks in my house right now. It's ridiculous, but it's standing <laughs> up, right? Because it's, yeah, because there's so much more to it. Yeah. And it's important to remember that translation is in itself an act of commentary. Always. And so yeah. always, because it, I mean, there are always words in other languages that you can't quite translate, <laughs> you know, like one that I one thing that one that I always come uh, that I always think of is the German word uh, Kummerspeck, which literally means it's like kind of like is it kind of bacon? It's like worry bacon. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is that comfort food? It's it's it, it's it refers to the weight that you gain when you're depressed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. so if I just said to you Kummerspeck, you're like what what? <laughs> Yeah. You you have to know the culture around that and, and understand like how people work, all kinds of stuff. So it's not easy to translate stuff. And that's why we have so many translations. And whenever the topic of inerrancy comes up, people say, well, God definitely maintained his message through all these different translations. And I think that's, I mean, that's a matter of faith for sure. God never says he did that. And honestly, Christians haven't been super concerned with this term, this concept of inerrancy until after the Reformation came along. It was more understood as it was, it was like the base, and then there was also received, uh, uh, what's the word, received inf- knowledge, revelation. Yeah. revelation. Thank you, yeah, received revelation. And it was kind of a movable thing, and like you, like it's it's very core to the Jewish mindset to question scripture, to question the everyone's very, interpretation, yeah. and to look at it differently on purpose. Yep. To really suss out the different meanings of things. Yeah, I th- man, there's there's so much there. I think it's important to know that inerrancy is one of those stories that we tell ourselves about the Bible that the Bible didn't, doesn't claim. Right. Especially the kind, which is maybe the, the, um, the story that we tell ourselves that 
that there's miraculous protection that God would never let someone mistranslate the Bible or God would never let something happen to the Bible that that confuses people or something like that. I love the stories about the Bible, by the way, that are about the survival of the Bible or miraculous ways that... Oh, yeah, those are great. uh, I don't know, a Bible enters China or something or, you know, an English Bible survives or something like that. And I I think that, that God... I personally think, you know, I'm not a empty deist. I think God is involved in all of this. Yeah. But one interesting thing is like the the diligent pursuit of accurate, meaningful biblical translation is difficult. Yeah. Right? Uh, because translation, we've mentioned this before, but not only is translation from culture and language difficult, but even English translating from English from a hundred years ago or 500 years ago is translation. We sometimes it changes in five or 20 years. Yeah. So Christians are always needed who have a high regard for this science. But I wonder if we actually limit the pool of that. If, if we have so many people who are in aorists who think it's going to happen on its own, Mm -hmm. you know, like we, we need, we need people to go study medicine. We know yeah. that. And we also need people to go study ancient texts and ancient languages yep. and transla- and uh, other lang- languages, you know, um, so that we can tr- continue translating the Bible. But inerrancy isn't the only story, only valid story to tell uh, about the Bible. And the opposite of inerrancy isn't full of errors. It's yeah, It's not a binary thing. No. And it, and you had said there's the word and the world, but many, many Christians would add a third one, which is there's the word, the world, and the church. Oh, yeah. And so they're really going to be concerned about like, well, what has the, you know, what has the church believed this to be or, or what have they received, right? Or what, and they, they see that part of it, especially the church as a very growing organism, like it, that changes that learns and that and grows and matures. And the, and the Bible does speak about the church that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of this current day deconstruction, quote unquote, is coming from. There's a lot of younger people, uh, like like the deconstruction world is, is mostly people like 45-ish and younger, mostly like the millennials and, and younger. Because I think people are seeing that I think that I think they're bucking up against that third entity of the church being so holy and uh, held up high as perfect, and whatever the church has been doing, like the the thousands of years of tradition, is as equally important as is this a thing that God wants me to do, mm-hmm. or is 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 God real? And I think that what a lot of people are doing here is they're tearing down. It's 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 termed as tearing down their faith, but I think they're really tearing down the church. And some people that that is their faith, so they lose faith completely. But I think if you tear down the, the church and the structure and the the detritus that's built up around it, to get back to God, that that's what I'm trying to do anyway. And, and and you as well. I know that's that's the whole premise of the podcast, right? 
Right. Is trying to get back to just that. Even, you know, there's the church in the Bible and the, and the world or creation. And I think sometimes it feels like tearing down one of those things, but it's actually tearing down the story we've told ourselves about that. That's yes. Thank you. So the, because there's some people who grew up in Catholic church or something. And so the story they have about what the church is includes the traditions about how all the apostles died and, and Mm -hmm. where they ended up in what countries and, um, then saints and then et cetera, et cetera, on down to now. And it, and it also includes things like scandal and abuse and betrayal and all kinds of things. The story that maybe evangelicals or Protestants or Americans are, are telling themselves, um, have to do with maybe more, not the plaque of tradition, (laughs) but more the, just the disconnect yeah. Between what they have seen church to be and what they they believe church is meant to be. I think, yeah, I, I think that's an important distinction that I think what a lot of people who are deconstructing, they're actually, I think, getting closer to to a truth with a capital T. Yeah. Because some of these things need, you know, are meant to be torn away because they, they were they were kind of false, false stories or false constructs around some of these things. Yeah. And I, I think that actually that to kind of segue on into the next one, the, the whole concept of homosexuality, homosexual relationships being wrong, I think is kind of a mixture of several of the things we've been talking about. It's not only the, the church tradition that's built up around things and beliefs, but it's also the translation issues. You'll hear, I've heard a lot lately about how the, the term, the, the word homosexuality did not appear in any English Bible until 1946 with the Revised Standard Version. And how even then it was pretty controversial among some, some circles whether or not that should be put in there or not. Right. Because there is no Greek word for homosexuality or, or a Hebrew word or Aramaic word. And so when you have tradition and questionable interpretations in the form of translations, then you get some pretty staunch ideas. And of course, there's, <clears throat> there are verses that describe homosexual acts uh, in negative terms. Um, and that's, that's such a big uh, topic. I want to do maybe a couple episodes on that, uh, maybe on my own. I don't know. We'll get into that later. But um, there's some good, bo- good books that I'll link to about it. But long story short is that it, that is a, it's exactly what we were talking about with the translations problems, the, the context, the history, the, the culture, and all, all that wrapped up together. I think that one ties into actually several other issues that are relevant today because like you said, there's a, there's a broader discussion to be had about well, what did those words mean? And what does that mean for us? And what does that mean for the church? But I think the thing to focus on in what you're saying is the word homosexual or like homosexual relationships or homosexuals has a ton of socio-political meaning Mm -hmm. that did not come from the Bible, like baggage that comes along with it. Yeah. 
So it's if we had a part of the Bible that was talking about treat the foreigner this way, and we translated it treat illegal immigrants this way. Mm-hmm. Well, that means you know that that has a pretty specific meaning for that a certain group is going to think of one way or another. Yep, that has all kinds of stuff in addition to you know what is being spoken about, and so. So an, that's an example of, okay, a translation choice, which, you know, maybe accidentally or in error brought in some additional stuff that w- is not meant to be there or is not the intention, but that I, as the reader, am going to interpret a different thing than was meant. And, you know, you could get the same yeah. thing if you translated something in the Bible as social justice, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So not to say that that is what it was or was not intended, but that's one of the reasons why I think that's how modern that, that specific word was added. Yeah. How recently that was added. That's, that's why it can be important to know that Paul did not have the same backdrop. Right. Behind that word that we do. Right. Um, so I shouldn't put mine 2000 years back onto Paul and assume that he he's thinking of the same thing that I'm thinking of. Sure. And honestly, one of the difficulties of the the homosexuality topic in the Bible is all, although scripture it, when it, the way of I've come to understand it anyway, although the scriptures do not explicitly say homosexual relationships are bad, it also doesn't say homosexual relationships are good. So it's kind of like this bit of a gray area. And that's why, honestly, that's kind of where I stand and where I, where I, I feel like I, if it's so vague, I don't feel like I can, I'm the one to make the judgment call on that. And I, I need to not try to be so controlling about it and let, let God do his thing. But that's, you know, once again, that's a very, very complicated topic. Yeah. And then very uh, can of wormsy. Yeah. There's a lot there for sure. Yeah. So the the last, I think actually the authorship one actually covered a lot more than I realized, but um, I think the last one that to really talk about is the L versus Yahweh thing. Mm-hmm. Now this is a big one. <laughs> oh no. Okay. So most of this is mostly centered around historical things and it it all comes down to dating when parts of the bible were written versus when we when we know certain gods were worshiped okay one surprising thing that it was it's like one of these ideas that's clearly been sitting there in the bible the entire time is that the bible is not a monotheistic book yeah i know what you mean um right. but there's there's this idea it's kind of, of a red herring <laughs> so, yeah Steve, come on. One heresy per episode. <laughs> there there are gods all over the Bible and I knew this in Absolutely. in um in Sunday school. You shall have no other gods before me. Right. Right. Um it implies there are other gods. Right. The worldview of the people who were re- who would have been I don't know, camped out in the wilderness following the fire. Mm-hmm. Those people would have absolutely believed that there were that the stars were gods, that there's local gods in other places, mm-hmm. and their commandment 
to have no other God other than the God, they took very seriously, not because there are no gods, but actually because there are, uh, but they, they thought of what that meant way differently than what we do. Right. It's not, right. As, what I'm saying is not ground shaking, earth shattering. It's, it's something that we, we're just not used to. Th- we have this, I think it's actually an English problem. Mm. So in English, we use the same word for big G God as little G God, but that yeah. capitalization makes a ton. It really matters <laughs> yes. to us. Yes. But it's the same word that we're using and we, we understand that intuitively, but man, I wish we, yep. that's, that's a big distinction for just the capital letter to do for us. Yeah. I mean, the, the first commandment could have said, other gods don't exist, just me. It, that's not what it says. Right. It says, don't have any other gods before me. And it's, we, we think of monotheism as, I worship one god because there is only one god to worship. And everything else is demons or angels or just made up stuff or just a piece of wood or whatever. And those distinctions are not as clear in the ancient times. The, there's not really much of a difference. Like the term Elohim that is used in Job, for example talking about the uh, divine counsel that comes to, and I think it's in uh, shoot, Zechariah, I think, mm-hmm. that, that's also mentioned, the divine counsel. It, the term is Elohim, which means gods. It's plural for gods. And spiritual being was a kind of a term for God. And so Yahweh on the mountain says, don't worship those other gods because they're not important. I'm the one who's important. I'm the head god basically i'm i'm the only one that that's that you should follow or god of gods or the or there are no gods beside me mm-hmm. right and so the term i mean monotheism is actually kind of a, a pretty modern term but the the term for what is actually going on in the old testament and the, the new is henotheism h e n henotheism which is the term for Multiple gods exist, but I'm only worshiping one of them. And so just thinking of that kind of throws some people off. And God is, once again, I don't think God is saying that other gods exist, or I don't think the Bible is saying that other gods actually exist. It's just like Genesis 1 saying that there are there is a physical dome above the, of the, above the earth does not mean that there's actually a physical dome. Right. It's just that it's it's meeting the people where they were. They thought there was a physical dome, so first chapter is just saying, okay, you know how you think there's a physical dome? Here's who put it there. Yeah. And say so I'm not going to argue with you about how many gods there are, but just follow this one. And we, again, in English, you know, because the biblical worldview or the is that God is a, is not the kind of thing that I am. Right. I'm the same kind of thing that an animal is, mm-hmm. but God is not that kind of thing. Right. And we, we actually have a word for that that's not great either that we call a spirit. So we're like, God is a spirit. Mm-hmm. And a Christian worldview definitely includes that there are other kinds of spirits. We kind of think of maybe angels as being that kind of a creature. Yeah. Or, or, or demons or whatever. If we had translated those all gods, then we would have a more nuanced view of like, oh, there's this kind of not not terrestrial physical being. Not mortal. Yeah. And there's all kinds of them. 
and what Yahweh is or what L is, is that kind of thing. But the distance between Yahweh and that may as well be the distance between Yahweh and an ant, right? Like we, they're still categorized different, at least as far as what like an Israelite would have been taught or believed about the power of God or the, um, you know. Yeah. And so when it comes to the L versus Yahweh thing, it gets, and this is something I've just learned in the past couple of weeks, actually, is that the, the name L was the chief deity of the Canaanite pantheon, which made up about 70 gods or so. Zeus. The Canaanite, yeah, he's, right. He's the Zeus of Canaan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that information comes from uh, inscriptions we have like around like two or 3,000 years before we believe that uh, Israel even existed, is El was the god of Canaanite era, area. And so that's why the older writings in the Bible tend to almost always use the term El, and referring to the most high God huh. because in, in Canaan, he was the most high God. And then as, as you get further into through time, then you have this term Yahweh popping up, which just kind of means I am who I am. And we have extra biblical, which means outside of the Bible evidence of people worshiping a God called Yahweh around the time that there was Israelites started referring to God is Yahweh. And there's even a, a verse in, I think it's Deuteronomy 32.8, seems to talking be talking about El imparting the land of Israel to Yahweh, his son, as in El is the father of Yahweh. That's what it sounds like anyway. <laughs> so when there's these Where? weirdnesses, it's, it's a Deuteronomy 32.8 and 9. The Most High El gave to the nations their inheritance. And Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob, and his allotted heritage. So, Wait, when you okay, read... So I, what was the verse again? Deuteronomy 32, 8, and 9. Right, yeah, I see, yeah. So when you see in verse 8 there, it says, the, the Most High, that's referring to El. The, that, the, the, Greek, the, the Hebrew word there is actually El. When El divided the nations, he separated it out, and for the Lord's portion, where it says in verse 9, that word Lord is actually the word Yahweh, it's referred to as the tetragrammaton in, in Hebrew, those four letters. So we have this verse that says, El gave Yahweh some land. It's like, okay, <laughs> what do we do with that? Is it, you know, it could be... Being metaphorical could be, I who knows. <laughs> so, yeah, that I, <laughs> that's one that I probably, if I had read it a hundred times, I would never get that impression mm-hmm. because I'm so used to Hebrew rhyming like that. Right, like when the utmost gave us his inheritance, when the Lord blessed us with his promises, then our Father did this. And the most high did this. And I'm like, yeah, that's all. I know that they're talking about the same four people or the same one person, you know? Yeah. But, and, uh, and I totally get what you're saying. Cause that, that's that dual mentioning of things is all over uh, Hebrew literature. 
But the weird thing is that we have distinct separate gods listed in pantheons elsewhere of El and Yahweh being a sub-deity of El. And Yahweh was a storm god whose name used to be Baal. And then Baal, it was yeah. changed, Baal, it was changed to Yahweh when a, a, there's evidence that another group moved in from the south and they their the name of their tribe was Yahweh. And they seem to influence the Israelites. And so, once again, this is not saying that the Old Testament should be thrown in the trash. It could just be saying that God decided to call himself what people understood as the most important thing. Right. And to talk to where they where they were. It doesn't mean that that Yahweh is not God's name or El was uh, like the Yahweh is actually the child of El or I mean who knows what. Yeah. Yeah. I I kind of think of that as the through the lens of Allah. Mhm. Yeah. Because there's a, a a difficulty for for um Arabic speaking Christians is that Allah has kind of become let's say the the name of the Islamic god. Mhm. Just like the we just like God with a capital G has kind of became the yeah, become the yeah. name of the I guess Christian god. But Allah just also means god. Right. So when a Christian says there's no god but Allah, they're not saying I mean this one. Right? They're they're just saying right. there's there's no god but God. Right. And so, you know, if we went 500 years into the future, we wouldn't think these people, they took this one deity and then kind of accepted it as their own. It's it's more like we're using little stick figures to describe something that, mm -hmm. you know, it's not really adequate to describe it. Yeah. And so if we were, what's the joke? Yeah, uh, I was going to say the... What's the Greek version of Zeus? And it's jo Jove, but it's Jupiter. Jupiter. But we'd say like, by Jove, right? And we, we're we <laughs> yeah. talking about, we even will map like Jupiter to, to Zeus, and then we'll map it to another group that kind of has like the same idea. Yeah, and so the, the fact that it's historically and even textually from the, from the Old Testament, El was the name for God well before Yahweh was the name for God doesn't necessarily mean that there are two gods. Uh, it could have meant that people thought of them as two different gods. It could have meant that God was doing something weird, or could mean that we should toss Exodus out. I don't know. <laughs> this, right. is where, this is where I'm on this journey, you know, of trying to be honest with myself about the realities of this stuff, trying to take in this, this information that I used to be afraid to read. Like I would, I remember uh, there were times when in college, going through my ministry degree, reading through stuff in the library and some obscure commentary or something, and I'd get to a point where it's like something like this, like yeah. Ellen Yahweh, yeah, and I'd be like, ah, uh, and I kind of skip past it because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anything to shake my faith. But I'm trying to uh, just meet that stuff head on now, and just like, where is it going to take me? Yeah. And I'm trying to trust in Yahweh or El or whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to trust in, in the, the Holy One, the most holy God, to help guide me in the right direction and help me figure this stuff out so I can follow wherever I'm supposed to go. 
And I, I think that that does come to the capital T truth eventually, if you, if you're if you're really working at it. And it, I mean, it may come to the point where I realize, like a lot of this stuff is interesting but not important. Sure. And that's kind of where I'm feeling myself ending up. Is you know, okay, great, multiple deities in the Bible, whatever. That's not the point. The point is, am I loving this homeless guy in the corner? Am I am I, am I loving this person who works for me at at the office? Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, and I think it's I think that this process, the process of faith as a letting go instead of a faith of a holding on, letting mm-hmm. go meaning trusting. I I think that it can move you from a belief that capital T truth is really clear, black and white, a straight line mm-hmm. to maybe a more adult understanding of the, there. I think there is a capital T truth, but I think it's, it's way more nuanced and fuzzy and there's uncertainty in, even in the midst of it. And that, that is, that is okay. That's actually closer to, to what we're, what God is actually trying to tell us and what he's trying to turn us into. Yeah. So I, I think that that's one of the, the important things about there's kind of trivia that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But some of this isn't trivia. It's like, no, this is, this is like a major biblical scholarship that we've known for a long time. It's just new to us because we haven't been engaging with scripture in a curious way. We've been engaging with scripture in a way that says, I know what this says already. Yeah. Instead of like you mentioned the maybe more kind of Jewish way, which is like, what does this say that I haven't that I haven't seen before? Not because we're trying to find the new thing that nobody else has found, but because it's a deep, complicated, ancient book that is that just isn't it's not simple. Yeah, it's kinda like when um we read that the truth shall set you free. I've always read that as if I understand the truth of the Bible, the truth of God, then it will set me free. But what if it it's more about I when I am set free, then I will know that that's the truth. Yeah, I I think I, I know what you're saying, which is like, there's one way of believing that, which is that if you if you get it all correct, that's the truth. If you get it all correct, right. now you are whatever free means. Mm-hmm. But what you're maybe finding out, cause I'm, I'm definitely finding out is that the trust in the truth is actually something you can relax in and have peace in. Mm. And there's mm-hmm. yeah. so much more freedom in, in that than there ever was in having to be correct. Yes. And yeah. the, and the truth that we think that is in the Bible, and it's, I don't think this is trivial, that uh, we are to love God and love others. And that that yeah. one thing sums up all of this other stuff we were talking about. Yeah. There's so much, I mean, it it gives depth. It's not sim- simple and that it it's difficult and it's it really gives so much depth to the story of the Bible, but it is definitely freeing. And legalism is not freeing. Legalism is where you tie a hundred little weights around you, mm-hmm. right? As you go through scripture to 
to make sure you're exactly correct and you're you're always nervous of getting something slightly wrong that's not i don't think that's a freedom no freedom is an open hand yeah wow well, that's that's all i got that's super it? light episode <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i've got some stuff to read now yeah and like i said links to all the high level versions of that stuff will be in the show notes for last weekend this week. And I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear feedback. If you guys find any of that helpful or scary or want to dig more into it or something between love to know. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely interested in the comments or even just like, what is something that you always thought? And then you read the Bible recently and you're like, yeah, that's different than I thought that happens to me Mm -hmm. all the time. It, literally today, I thought there was a typo in my Bible because I have a, it's like a 2020 or tw- even 2021 ver- translation. Oh, really? And it said, Mary, mother of Joseph. And I was like, did they just misspell Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, so I had to, I had realized like, oh, every Bible I've ever uh, read has translated that Joseph. This one translates it Joseph. It's probably the same name because Joseph is not what it is in Hebrew anyways, right? Um, But I was just like, what? You know, how did I miss that? Because it's (laughs) it's everywhere. So there you go. That's great. Well, glad we're back on the horse. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. Glad to have you back, man. Yeah, thanks. Man, sorry. I was out there for a little bit. No, it does. Hey, we all need a break. I need, I needed a break too. So, I had been screaming. All right. Until next time, then. We will see you next yeah. time. Yeah. Thanks. All Take care. These messages I thought you wanted to hear, but it only takes a whisper. Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures. Head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later. <laughs>